What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, before we talk to Tom Hartman, quick announcement here at the top of the show. I just revamped our Buy Our Crap store at bobseska.com. Now you can buy t-shirts, bumper stickers, mugs, drinkware, messenger bags, and all kinds of other items featuring the Bob Seska Show logo, along with a few vintage Bob and Chez era items and our original Flush the Turd on November 3rd t-shirts and more. And coming soon, exclusive t-shirts to celebrate the 20th anniversary of my May 2000 Napster Bad cartoons. Don't settle for knockoff items sold by disreputable stores that flagrantly stole my Flush the Turd slogan. Go to bobseska.com and click the Buy Our Crap link just under the logo at the top of the page. Or just bookmark bobseska.com slash store and go shopping until you're dropping. It's not too late to buy Bob Seska Show items for yourself and everyone on your list. Thank you in advance. And now, let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, December 11, 2019, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. My guest today is a broadcasting and publishing master, the great Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Radio Show and TomHartman.com. In fact, I'm fairly certain Tom's completed two books and half a dozen radio shows just in the time it's taken me to record this intro. I'm serious. Today we're going to talk with Tom about Facebook's ongoing awfulness and his ban from Facebook, as well as the impeachment, the Trump crisis, a lot of history and more. Meanwhile, if you dig what you hear, please support this show on our Patreon page at bobseskashow.com. All righty, let's catch up with Renaissance man Tom Hartman. Hello? Oh, there he is, Tom Hartman. It's Bob Seska. How are you? Hey, Bob. I'm great. Thank you for doing this today, because uh, I know how much of a pain in the ass it is to break away from writing, and I know you're working on another book and taking some time out here to talk to me, so I, I do appreciate that. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, uh, are, are you back on Facebook? I haven't, I haven't checked, but I pull up the Facebook app, and nope, I am still banned. Wow. And uh, when I push the button, it says, uh, your account must list your authentic name, personal accounts must represent individual people only impersonating anyone or anything is not allowed maintaining multiple accounts is a violation of our policies and accounts created for the purpose of spamming are prohibited i violated apparently one of those rules good god so so they got you they got you for the same thing that they're letting the daily wire get away with god only knows 
the, there's a story that goes back uh, to about a year ago when there were maybe a couple hundred uh, liberal accounts, liberal pages that were eliminated from Facebook. And the reason they cited, the reason Facebook cited for eliminating all of those pages was, quote unquote, inauthentic behavior. And so what that actually what that means is that, say, for example, you're running a page, but you also run two other pages and you want someone to read uh, your latest blog entry or a clip from your show. And so you post that across all three pages. Right. You're the admin on those pages. So that's what you do. You want your audience to know what you're doing. And so Facebook targeted people who were doing that as being spammers. And so instead of giving them a warning, instead of saying, here's our, the line from the terms of service, here's the rule about not doing this, instead of doing that, instead of doing the reasonable thing, they just, like a Thanos snap, they just eliminated all those pages and, and in fact, banned all those people from using Facebook. But then we hear about through Judd Legum about how the Daily Wire, which is uh, Ben Shapiro's outfit, is uh, they cut a deal with Facebook, allowing the company to spam its followers with propaganda, even though Facebook terminated all these liberal pages for inauthentic behavior. So it sounds like Zuckerberg is taking sides, doesn't it, Tom? It sure does to me. And, you know, he's had a couple of private uh, lunches with Donald Trump. Um, he's been inviting Republican members of Congress out to visit him at his place on the West Coast. Um, uh, to the best of my knowledge, he's had uh, none of these kinds of interactions with uh, the more progressive members of Congress, particularly people like Ron Wyden, who yeah. is uh, you know, an outspoken advocate for net neutrality and, and really probably understands the Internet better than any other member of the United States Senate. And um, I just think it's very disappointing. And they didn't give you a a timeline for whether or not you're banned permanently or banned temporarily. They didn't say anything along those lines. Uh, I'm assuming it's permanent because, uh, you know, it it says you can download your information. Actually, I'll read it to you again Hmm. or or here. Uh, It says your account has been disabled for more information. If you think your account was disabled by mistake, please visit the help center. And then there's a button that says download your information. And then if I click go to help center, It says your account was disabled for violating the Facebook terms. And then it says our policies. And it's Mm -hmm. got those five bullet points that I read you a minute ago. Yeah. And uh, it says, uh, please review the the community standards. If you think your account was disabled by mistake, please let us know. But there's no mechanism for letting us know. No. And I can't get on Facebook to talk to Facebook. So it's it's a bizarre catch-22. Yeah. Had you been noticing... And this this is an account, Bob, that I... I, I set this account up, you know, probably more than a decade ago, maybe maybe much longer than that. I mean, it might have even been more than 15 years ago. And um, I, I set it up to, to be completely private as much as you can, you know, to, it's hard to find me. Yeah. And uh, because it's just for, you know, I, I only follow probably 30 or 40 people. I mean, basically, it's my cousins and their kids and my, my own kids and uh, a half a dozen friends from college, and I'm a member of this one uh, private group for uh, international relief workers, and that's it. It's unbelievable. And, and I haven't, you know, and, and I don't post. I, I, I literally probably in the last decade have not posted more than six or seven times, 
And every time it was in response to something that somebody I knew said, you know, like, you know, hey, it's happy birthday, that kind of thing. I mean, I, I, I literally, my, my politics have not been a part of my private profile. Wow. And, and, and there's nothing that I can think of that I, other than uh, one of my friends uh, regularly posts, uh, you know, progressive uh, memes and cartoons and things. And, and um, I do recall in the weeks before my account got canceled, um, liking one of his posts. Yeah. But, I, but as far as I can recall, and, and, and Facebook is, you know, I mean, here we are talking in public. Facebook is free to dispute this and, and present whatever I did wrong. But as far as I can tell, that's the only interaction, you know, where I've pushed a button going on Facebook. I mean, I check Facebook every weekend. Uh, it's, it's part of my Saturday morning routine, just checking up on my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I almost never post anything. I just try to keep a super low profile. Yeah. So that's, what's, that's what makes it so weird. I mean, you know, if they had a problem, I, my program has a very active Facebook page. And, uh, but it's clearly identified as the Tom Hartman program. And it's not even, I don't even run it. It's run by my webmaster who's based out of London. And, um, so, you know, I, I, and, and it's clearly, you know, a commercial site. And in fact, we have a commercial relationship with Facebook. They, they send us money. Wow. So, um, I'm just confounded. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, one of the, one of the people on Twitter, uh, you know, cause I posted about this on Twitter, uh, said, uh, that the, you know, Facebook hires all these thousands and thousands of moderators who have to go in and look at sites and they, a lot of the moderators are just like in PTSD from all the Nazi stuff and child porn and all the other horrible things that they encounter. And, uh, but on the other hand, some, some of the moderators probably have political agendas and it may be that just some moderator who didn't like liberals decided to take me out. God, it's unbelievable. And, and it's, uh, apparently they don't have any kind of a good system of oversight, you know, for their for their moderators. I'm, I'm assuming that that's probably what happened. It's the only thing that makes any sense to me. Yeah. I mean, I was even I'm, thinking because my activity was so minimal. Well, I was even thinking that it was an A.I. situation where there was an uh, there was A.I. programming going around and policing Facebook pages. I mean, I have no verification of this. This is just me guessing because God only knows we can't find out directly from Facebook why a certain page or group of pages was eliminated because, you know, it's a black box. Well, if I had posted anything, I, I would think that's possible, but I haven't. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I haven't posted anything. The only other possibility that I can think of is, you know, and I think it's a remote possibility, and you mm. would think that Facebook would deal with it in a different way than they did, is if somebody, uh, you know, hacked my account and 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 started spamming or posting offensive stuff. But um, I would want to know if that happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would want Facebook to tell me. And I'm also guessing that if that had happened, if if suddenly on my personal account, I, you know, the weird, weird stuff was getting posted online that, uh, one of my kids or one of my relatives would have sent me an email saying, you know, do you realize what's going on with your personal account? Hmm. And that hasn't happened. Yeah. I mean, so. one of the cases I heard about was actually, uh, my girlfriend, Kimberly Johnson, who uh, happens to be a feminist blogger and author. And, uh, she was booted off for, I believe 24 hours because she used the phrase white trash. That was specifically the reason they cited for her being suspended for 24 hours or what they call Facebook jail because of the phrase white trash. And I've noticed that some people have reported using the phrase white trash in reference to white trash bags 
and also gotten suspended because of that. So that leads me to believe that it's some kind of software or some kind of AI that's picking out these keywords and using those as a pretext for eliminating people's Facebook page or at least suspending it for a period of time. Sounds like your page was eliminated entirely. That you, that now it's it's just gone. Poof, it's disappeared. Uh, which has got to be immensely That's frustrating. Right. But I mean, how do we how do we get Americans to walk away from Facebook? I mean, how do we do that, or or do we have to wait for a viable alternative to allow it to happen organically? Well, that's sort of like saying, you know, you're 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 pissed off uh, with the way that the phone company is behaving, so you're never going to use the phone again. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't think that we should be getting Americans to walk away from Facebook. I, I think you know uh, Zuckerberg came up with a pretty cool idea, and his implementation of it has been very elegant. Uh, I do think, though, that um, Facebook has become such a, uh, a deep and ubiquitous part of not just our news infrastructure, but our social infrastructure in this country, that it has uh, moved close to, if not into the arena of being basically a public utility. Yeah. And it should be at the very least regulated as a utility. And um, at the very most, uh, it, it should be um, either nationalized or, or broken up. You know, right. uh, one of the things that Facebook has uh, successfully done over the years is buy up any any company that thre- that threatens to become a successful competitor. Yeah. Uh, Instagram is the most famous example, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I think that they should be forced to to divest uh, at the very least the, the hundred plus companies that they've purchased. It seems to me, and maybe this is a more cynical point of view when it comes to Facebook, seems to me as if whatever the intention was when Zuckerberg started Facebook, that now it's simply become this data mining operation. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. the that's the sole intent of it. Now I almost I compare it to Zuckerberg's ant farm, where he can ju- he's got this ant farm, he's got this sociological experiment sitting in front of him. He can push buttons, he can uh, adjust the way we do things on Facebook just to see how we're going to react. It's kind of the equivalent of taking that ant farm and shaking it up for the purpose of seeing the ants scramble around and figure out what the hell has just happened to them. Uh, and I, I get the sense that that's the, really the case with uh, with Zuckerberg's intent with this. And, and whether or not that's bearing out with everybody, that's a different story. But it seems like enough people are getting steamrolled by uh, this platform. I mean, in some cases, having uh, updated it daily for hours every day for years on end only to be as I said, just disappeared in a in an instant without a single uh, bit of warning. Seems to me as if that's that's a little more nefarious than where we started, don't you think? Yeah, I you know, like I said, I, I, I and I pointed out in the article that, that went up on Salon today that yeah. um, uh, you know I did not realize how important Facebook was to me, frankly, until they took it away. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's just not. I mean, I, yeah, there's a bunch of kids of my cousins that probably don't even, uh, you know, that I've never physically met. You know, I mean, I, you know, I haven't uh, been back to Michigan in decades, and that's where my family is from. Yeah. And uh, it's just, I, I, you know, I don't want to speculate on Zuckerberg's personal motivations. He's, he's. Uh, I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is that as a country. Um, you know, when, when radio reached the point where the average person was listening to four hours of radio a day, and that was in the 1920s, yeah. um, we regulated in 1927. And then again, in 34, I think it was, we, we passed pretty, pretty strong regulation of the radio industry to make sure that 
fake news wasn't taking things over and yeah. the, you know, the programming was being done in the public interest at the very least. There wasn't any effort to reduce the profit of the radio broadcasters. In fact, over time, what it did was increase their profit because it increased people's faith and confidence in them. Same thing with the telephone. Um, you know, Alexander Graham Bell uh, commercialized the telephone in the 1890s, and, and by 1917, we were aggressively regulating it. And in exchange for that regulation, we gave Bell a monopoly for uh, nearly a century. Yeah. I mean, you know, which Zuckerberg has. He has a functional monopoly right now. So, you know, I, I think that there are precedents that, um, that are reasonable and rational and, and could or should be applied here. Uh, that have nothing to do with, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or his opinions um, or, you know, whether he's a good guy or a bad guy or whatever, um, but really have more to do with what is in the interest of the people of the United States and increasingly the people of the world. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got um, countries now that are alleging that Facebook is fomenting rebellions or it's being used as a platform to foment rebellions. Obviously, Facebook itself is not doing this. Um, mm-hmm. Or, or uh, you know, harming people. Um I'm guessing that even if the United States, you know, probably the most laissez-faire of the uh, fully developed countries uh, in the world, even if we don't get around to regulating Facebook, uh, probably the EU will. I feel like there needs to be a driver's ed course for, for new Internet users. It seems like it's just a minefield now, whether we're talking about phishing scams or whether we're talking about uh, the fake news and everything. It seems like there's danger around every corner and not enough people know about it. Yeah. Do you think you think something like that well, might I, be in order? Yeah, or, or changing the rules of the game. I mean, you know, that's yeah. sort of like uh, back at the 19 aughts, um, uh, people were dying in car accidents left and right. Yeah. And so what we came up with was a national standardization of stop signs and red lights and yellow lights and green lights and driver's licenses and registration of cars. Um, you just, you, you know, if you've got a system that's, that is not working, you change the rules of the system. Um, you know, and I, and I probably should have mentioned in my article in the 1980s, before there was an internet, I was moderating 34, I, I ran, uh, you know, and was paid very well by CompuServe to run 34 forums. We ran the ADD forum, we ran the mm. International Trade Forum, we ran the IBM forum, we ran the Macintosh forum, we being myself and Nigel Peacock, my, my partner back then. Wow. Uh, he's now my sysop who lives in London, the guy that I mentioned earlier, who yeah. runs our commercial Facebook page. Um, we ran all these, uh, the JFK assassination forum. And I remember going down to Columbus, Ohio, uh, I forget the year now, but it was in the late eighties and having uh, a presentation done by this guy who said, there's this incredible new thing and it's going to change our business completely. At that time it was just AOL and Facebook or or AOL and CompuServe. This is going to change our business completely. It's called hypertext markup language, HTML. (laughs) I'm going to show you a demonstration. And he brings this page up on the screen and he says, look at this word. It's it's highlighted. And he clicks on that word and it goes to another page. And he says, you can actually link pages together. And we're all like, whoa, is that cool? (laughs) And, and, And when he was all done, he was like, we'll see what this does to CompuServe. We're really not all that concerned right now. And I mean, so I was there at the birth of, of, you know, this whole thing. Yeah. And, and I was running and every single one of those 34 forums that we were, that I was, Nigel and I were running on CompuServe and, and Sue Nethercutt also was participating. She does our newsletter now. Um, so we've been friends since the eighties and, you know, running these companies. Um, the, every one of those forums had three pieces to it. It had, it had a, uh, a, a file storage area where people could put files. Mm. It had a conversation area 
you know, a chat area and, and it had a live conversation area. So you had a message board, a live chat area and, and a file system, which is not unlike what Facebook has become. So, you know, I, and, and, and we regularly had to deal with, with, you know, idiots and, and, and people, you know, who just behaved very, very badly. And there was no anonymity, by the way. I mean, we, we, you, you had to put down a credit card in order to get on CompuServe, you know, it was seven <laughs> bucks a month. Yeah. And, um, so, so, uh, you know, it was impossible to be anonymous and still we were dealing with stalkers and we were dealing with, mm-hmm. you know, people who were just behaving outrageously and people who were coming on trying to spam and, and we had very, very aggressive moderation. I understand the need for moderating forums. I understand the need for moderating CompuServe. Yep. I, you know, I salute the people who do it. Um, but something weird is going on here when this kind of thing happens to, to, to me. Yeah, and and yeah. for so many others. I mean, now that I've brought this out, I've been, you know, I mean, just read my Twitter feed. It's like all kinds of people coming out and saying, hey, the same thing happened to me. Yeah, yeah. It's rampant. It's all over the place. I, I, in fact, almost everyone I know has been affected by it somehow. And in fact, what happened even long before they were just poof, eliminating people from Facebook wholesale, uh, they were throttling the reach of certain types of content where at some point up until I would say somewhere around late 2013, prior to that, Posting something like an article or a podcast or something like that on Facebook was a bonanza of traffic. I mean, the amount of shares that you could get on Facebook prior to late 2013 was an unbelievable thing to behold. I mean, Facebook was a traffic generating machine if you ran a publication or anything like that. But then after that, they started up a a new algorithm that began to throttle content. And the reason they wanted to start throttling content is in order to get people like you and I to pay for advertising, to pay for our reach on Facebook, which became now part of maybe the centerpiece of the Facebook business model. So it's been an ongoing problem with these people at Facebook. And I just, again, I'm just grasping for solutions, grasping for a way out. And I know there's some platforms that are arising to uh, compete against Facebook. And as we saw with MySpace, you know, fading out and Facebook taking over, there's always the potential for something like that to happen to Facebook. It seems to be the trend, the way of things uh, online. One platform replaces what came before. Well, except that every time that's happened, they bought out that potential competitor. And that's that's behavior that shouldn't be prohibited. Well, let's get into uh, what's happening right now with the impeachment. You posted a blog about the content of the impeachment articles yesterday. Uh, do you think there should have been more articles or do you agree uh, with the wisdom of introducing just two super impactful articles, the short, sharp shot uh, articles, as Rachel Maddow was putting it last night? I could argue both sides of that, Bob. Um, and in fact, up until the articles were dropped, I was arguing that we should have a broad sweep of articles of impeachment yeah. by simply by way of saying to any future president, these are the things that uh, we will we will slap your hand if you do. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we may not succeed in kicking you out out of the room, but we're going to we're going to rise up and say something, um, uh, you know, things like uh, paying off porn stars not to talk about affairs. Uh, I mean, that's clear violation of the federal election commission rules. Right. Um, you know, and, and, you know, all those other stuff. I, I really felt that uh, Trump's crimes should be documented. They, they should be a documentary record of his crimes that will last as long as this country lasts. Yeah. And that's not happening. And that's very disappointing to me. On the other hand, I understand that 
Pelosi and and, uh, uh, and and Adam Schiff and the other you know committee heads, but principally those two, are not so much interested in making uh, you know a political statement or, or or some you know memorializing something for the ages as they are in actually removing a man that they believe is a, actually a threat to our nation. Yeah. And if they're going to do that, they need to do it in a way that's basically irrefutable and non-debatable. And uh, the fact that, you know, Trump uh, strong-armed or tried to uh, strong-arm Ukraine and appears to be continuing to to strong-arm Ukraine, there's still $35 that hasn't been distributed. Zelensky still hasn't gotten his White House meeting. Uh, And, you know, yesterday he had to have a meeting with Putin. Um, I think that this stuff can't, and the fact that Trump has has ordered everybody not to not to uh, talk even to Congress. Right. Um, those are those are facts that are not in dispute, and uh, so I mean the Republicans will try to justify them, but they they're not disputing. And so that I think makes it much more likely that you're going to get uh, you know enough Republican senators that at least it will be seen as a bipartisan impeachment vote. If I mean, it's going to take 20 Republicans to make it, to, to kick him out of office. I, I am very skeptical that that will happen. Yeah. But you never know. Right, right. You know, there's the best chance, I think. Are we, uh, are we too delicate with the way we roll out impeachment in this country? Is it something that we should incorporate more into the usual business of separation of powers? Is this something that uh, uh, we're, it's, it's too sacrosanct and we need to expand the usage of this? Or is it about just right? What do you think? I, yeah, I think it's just about right. I, you know, the Clinton impeachment obviously was a joke. Yeah. Um, and, and the American people basically said so. Clinton was more popular after he was impeached than before. Um, because it was like, you know, 60% of married men and, and 45% of married women have had affairs, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, everybody in America either has had an affair or knows somebody who's had an affair and knows that it's not something that ends the Republic. And, and also everybody knew that, you know, Kennedy was sleeping around LBJ had a long-term mistress. Eisenhower had a long-term mistress, <laughs> you know, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush had a long-term mistress. I mean, probably the only president who didn't have a mistress, uh, the only two were Nixon and George W. Bush. <laughs> I can't imagine Nixon sleeping around. I, I just uh, that's something that I, I wish now that you yeah. put that now that you put that thought in my don't head. I to imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> no, my God, how disgusting. Yeah, but, you. But, but, but my point is that my point is that that was the one clear abuse of the impeachment process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Andrew Johnson definitely deserved to be impeached. Congress did it wrong. They set a trap for him. Uh, and, and they, they were too smart by half. Um, Nixon, uh, would have been impeached and and impeachment was entirely appropriate for Nixon. And they didn't even know about his blowing up the peace deal in 68, you know, which was actual treason to get himself elected. And, and, uh, you know, frankly, I think that, uh, you you look at the crimes of some of the other presidents, uh, you know, uh, Iran Contra should have been something for which there were impeachment hearings, in my opinion. Um, those were actual crimes. Yeah. Um, I don't see Clinton having committed any actual crimes. I, you know, I thought that for a while there, I was saying Bush and Cheney should be impeached for for lying us into two wars, uh, costing the lives of thousands of Americans and millions of of people overseas. Uh, I'm I'm still uh, pretty strongly in the camp that they should have been impeached for that, yeah. and I think certainly Trump should have been impeached uh, in the first week mm-hmm. for for campaign finance, you know, for basically fraudulently uh, winning a, in quotes an election. And, uh, you know, we never got to the bottom of that. We never got to the bottom of what might have been going on with 
with uh, voter rolls in those in those four states that yeah. put him over the top. Um, you know, where they were pushing hundreds of thousands of people off the voting rolls in the weeks before the election or the months before the election. I've got a book coming out about that next spring, The Hidden History of the War on Voting. Um, it's a really, really, really disgusting uh, picture. Yeah. Um, so I can imagine. I, I think this is right. Is it possible to repair all this damage, Tom? I mean, we, we watch this day by day and we see uh, there's the overt damage that's easy to recognize. But then there's a more subtle, nefarious kind of damage that's happening when it comes to the discourse. I mean, for example, we got the release of this IG report. Trump and his disciples have, uh, I would say, augmented their embrace of complete fantasy. I mean, worse than ever before. And I, I'm watching this stuff up close, and I'm sure you are too. And I've never seen this level of denial when it comes to factual reality. The facts in the IG report by Michael Horowitz, they're behaving as if it was a completely different report. They're just moving forward with whatever they were going to say if the report had exonerated the idea of a deep state conspiracy. Um, so... Uh, do we fix this? How do we fix this? The Republicans have embraced Hitler's big lie theory. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it wasn't unique to Hitler, but he just laid it out in Mein Kampf. Yeah. Um, and there's a great uh, audio clip of Franklin Roosevelt talking about that, by the way, that you might want to track down. Sure. I played it on my show today. Um, uh, and, you know, where he said, you know, just tell the big lie over and over again. And everybody was like, you know, ha, 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 you know, Hitler was so stupid. Well, this is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, if you look at the countries that did that in the past, specifically Germany and Japan in the 1930s, um, they developed these cult-like followings in their countries. Uh, and that, those cults took over the, the levers of power and then they became basically police states to maintain that power. And it took uh, rather radical action, you know, the U.S. defeating them in a war, to wake people up from the trance, to wake people, shake people out of the cult. Mm-hmm. And my biggest concern is that, you know, Nixon sullied America, and America was appropriately disgusted. And I think that, you know, Jerry Ford came in and said, we're going to return civility and decency to government. Our long national nightmare is over, was what he said, you know, the day after he was inaugurated. And, and there was a sense that, okay, we can get back to normal here. But I don't think that uh, even impeaching Trump will be enough, um, although it might be. But, I, you, know, I, but you know, let's assume he doesn't get removed from office. Um, it's going to take some sort of a huge national shock to wake people up to what they've been a part of. And, yeah. and you know, I, I think the, the entity that, contain, that, that, that carries the greatest culpability, the greatest moral responsibility for this is uh, Rupert Murdoch and his two sons, you know, the, this billionaire family that, yeah. that um, has for years been intentionally polluting American politics. Kevin Rudd, the former prime minister of Australia, wrote an op-ed in the Sydney Morning Herald last year titled Rupert Murdoch is the cancer at the heart of Australian democracy. Wow. And he talks about how Murdoch corrupted Australian politics and then moved to the UK and corrupted British politics and then moved to the United States and has corrupted American politics. And, uh, I mean, it's just breathtaking to think that one cranky billionaire can do that much damage, but that's <laughs> yeah. exactly what has happened. 
I mean, would you say that Rupert Murdoch is is even more responsible for this than Roger Ailes? Uh, seems like Roger Ailes had a big, big part of it. But who started the fire? Well, Murdoch at News was Corp? doing this in the UK. Yeah. You know, Murdoch was doing this in the UK before he came to the United States and started Fox News. He was yeah. doing it in Australia before he went to the UK. In Roger Ailes, he simply had somebody who was you know of the same mind and who was who was uh, brilliant yeah. at, at at what he did. Um, you know, he had a master uh, practitioner, you know, it was like the Hitler finally deciding that Goebbels was his guy, you know, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, Ailes is gone, but Fox keeps rolling along. Yes, it does. Um, you know, we'll see, you know, when, when, when Rupert, uh, uh retires, uh, you know, he's got, uh, his two sons, Lachlan and uh, James, and apparently James is a little more moderate. Lachlan is a little more Don Trump Jr. ish. And uh, I think Lachlan is running the day-to-day operations now. So we'll see. I mean, I, 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 I hope that there might be an awakening. I, I actually literally pray for it. Yeah. But uh, hmm. I don't know. I, it, 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 it's doing tremendous damage yeah. to, uh, to democracy itself here and around the world. Okay, we'll get back to our conversation with Tom Hartman here in just one second. But first, the holiday season is upon us, and you know what that means. Everyone's got their camera phones out, taking your picture, and you don't know how the hell you look in these pictures. So you want to grab their phone, you want to skim through and start deleting, but you don't always get a chance to do that. Suddenly, a picture that you hate of yourself is now on everyone's Facebook page. Every under-eye bag, that's there too. Oh, and what's that last part under eye bags, wrinkles, crow's feet? Yes, those are telltale signs of aging. And who wants those in our holiday photos? Now imagine that they're gone. And I'm not talking about some risky, expensive plastic surgery. I'm talking about gone in just a matter of minutes. It is called Plexiderm, a clinically studied topical serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in just a matter of minutes. It's exactly what you need to get through the holiday season and beyond. And if you don't believe it, don't sweat it. I didn't believe it either until I took the test. I got my canister of Plexiderm here, and I tried it out in a matter of 10 minutes. The fine lines around my eyes disappeared, vanished. And the best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody at your holiday party is going to know that you're using it, unless, of course, you tell them. Here's how you get Plexiderm's holiday promotion. Go to triplexiderm.com and use my code SEXYLIBERAL for 50% off plus an extra $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling one 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code SEXYLIBERAL. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code SEXYLIBERAL at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com. The Bob Seska Show. Yeah, one of the things that I've been doing to keep from going insane, primarily, is to try to trace the genealogy of what got us into this entire mess. And one of the precursors to the Trump crisis was the Tea Party movement that uh, sprung up mainly. I always trace this back to Sarah Palin's rallies in 2008. And around that time, uh, I remember listening to your show and you explained something about the origins of the actual Boston Tea Party that completely subverts the 09-2010 movement. Can you walk us through some of that history? This is really revealing in terms of how far afield the Tea Party movement was from the actual original Boston Tea Party. Sure. And before I do that, uh, let's just note that the Tea Party was originally created by the tobacco lobby in the, in the late 80s or early 90s. Hmm. 
as a smoker's rights movement. And then it went quiescent when the tobacco industry went down and it got revived by the Koch brothers and a few other cranky right-wing billionaires, um, you know, uh, via freedom works and whatnot. And, uh, basically was an entirely throughout its existence, an astroturf movement. Um, it was not a genuine, you know, political uprising uh, at the grassroots. It just looked that way. Yeah. Um, but what happened in, in 1773 um, was really consequential. I mean, that was the year that Thomas Jefferson uh, published a pamphlet called "A Summary Right," a summary view of the rights of British Americans, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, an, a strong and outspoken declaration of the rights of, of uh, citizen British citizens in the United States but clearly said we're British citizens and we're proud to be British citizens and we're going to continue to be British citizens. Um, Four months after that was published, the British government, uh, under the influence of the East India Company, the British East India Company, which was then the largest corporation in the world and the largest corporation in Great Britain, it was chartered in December of 1601 by Queen Elizabeth I. Mm. Uh, This is now 1773, 173 years later. Um, the British East India Company uh, had a had monopoly rights on the tea trade and the clothing trade uh, into the United States. It was illegal in what we now call the United States and the colonies. It was illegal to manufacture fine clothing. Yeah. It was illegal to manufacture weaponry. It was illegal to manufacture all kinds of things. And it was also illegal to import tea. And, and you had to buy it through the East India Company. So what had sprung up throughout the 1760s and 1770s, and maybe even a little farther back, um, was a smuggling business yeah. where people were bringing tea in um, from uh, primarily via Holland by, by the Dutch trading companies, but even some of the pirates were doing it. And uh, the East India Company wanted to put them out of business. And the smuggled tea was being served in tea, you know, Everybody in the country at that time drank tea. They didn't drink coffee. Yeah. And um, tea houses were the social centers. They were the Starbucks of the era. They were, there was a tea house on every block in big cities. And they were get-together places and everything else. And the tea houses very often were connected specifically to these smugglers. So, so uh, some of the tea houses were very loyal to the crown, and they were connected to the British, uh, uh, you know, to the East India Company. Some of them were even owned by the East India Company, but most of them were in small independent businesses. And so in 1773, the Parliament of Great Britain passed what's called the Tea Act of 1773. And um, it's, I, I learned in high school that this was a, a, an increase in the taxes on tea. It was not, actually. What it was was a massive tax cut. Um, and, and in fact, they gave a rebate to the East India Company on over 13 million pounds of tea in storage. Um, so it, the East India Company got a multi, what in today's dollars would be a multi-hundred billion dollar or tens of billions of dollar tax rebate check. And, uh, and, the price and, the, and the cost of the tax on tea was dropped to the point, in addition to the rebate, that the East India Company could undercut the smugglers. So now you've got the East India Company and the tea rooms that were aligned with them basically pulling a Walmart, threatening to put out of business all these small entrepreneurial ventures all up and down the <laughs> East Coast. And uh, the people just said, enough of that. To hell with that. We're not going to take this anymore. And uh, they rose up. I mean, I tell the whole long story of it in a book I wrote called uh, Unequal Protection. It's about the 14th Amendment. Yeah. But it, it has that whole story in it. Mm-hmm. And 
And, uh, you know, the people rose up and they threw the tea in the harbor. And uh, uh, Great Britain responded with the Boston Ports Act uh, in November of 1773, which said that the port of Boston would be closed to any kind of commercial traffic until the citizens of, of Boston paid the East India Company what in today's dollars would be a, a little over $2 million for the tea that they destroyed. Uh, the citizens of Boston said, screw you. Um, and so they started moving British troops toward toward Boston. And, uh, you know, that at that point, Jefferson said, OK, screw this. Uh, we're all British citizens here stuff. And not only for Jefferson, I mean, that was that was what tipped all these guys over into, uh, OK, it's time to, to start a war for independence. And the war actually started, you know, in a big way in 1775. I mean, the Declaration of Independence didn't kick it off. It just ratified. That's right. So basically what we're talking about here is a modern protest movement, a uh, AstroTurf movement that was predicated on the idea of taxed enough already, right? They want lower tax. The Tea Party movement wanted right. lower taxes, but it turned out that they've adopted their name from a protest against a corporate tax cut. So it, the irony of That's that correct. is absolutely breathtaking yeah. to behold, you know? Uh, it really is. You know, and, and then I go to the people who get suckered in by that, and I feel as though the the Trump supporters, the people I call the red hats, bear responsibility, or at least partial responsibility in all this. Where do you land in terms of the accountability on the people who allowed uh, and helped Trump rise to power? You know, I have some empathy for the people who wear the maggot mm. hats. Um I think that, you know, I don't know if you've seen Jen Senko's Seiko, Seiko I think her name is. Oh, yeah. It's a brilliant. I've talked to her. Yeah, I talked to her on my show. Washington and my dad. Yeah, yeah, I talked to her on my show. She, it's yeah. an amazing documentary. Um, you know, her dad was a, a wonderful, decent, generous, kind, humane, you know, human being mm -hmm. who started watching Fox News when he retired and within a year or so had been turned into, uh, you know, a a fulminating, angry, uh, hard to be around, uh, you know, right wing crank, you know, he'd been, yeah. he'd been turned into, um, Roger Ailes. <laughs> right, right, and, right. and, um, and actually if you watch the documentary on Ailes, I think it's on HBO, maybe it's Netflix or Hulu, but I, I'm pretty sure it's HBO. Um, the loudest voice in the room. Oh yeah. Yeah. Showtime. Uh, Ailes actually was just as crazy as he makes people. Yeah. I guess it was showtime, whatever it was. Um, he was just as crazy as the, as he makes people. I mean, he was building bomb shelters and stuff. He was, he was <laughs> insanely paranoid. And uh, so, so, I mean, this, and he just kind of inflicted that mental illness on, on all these other people. So, so, you know, whether it's the, the maggot hat people who call my show or the ones that, you know, you encounter in the airports and whatnot, I, I, I feel sorry for them, frankly. I, mm. I don't, uh, I don't hold them responsible for Trump. I Trump or, or for Fox News. I think the, the the arrow of culpability goes in the other direction. Yeah. I think that you know you've got a couple, you've got a few billionaires who are looking out, who who I believe have uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, it, 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 a, a form of it that's known as hoarding syndrome. These are I, I really truly think that if Charles Koch or if uh, Rupert Murdoch were born lower middle class and never succeeded in getting out of that, that they would be living in an apartment that's floor to ceiling newspapers and tin cans. Um, right. They, you know, but, 
but because they have uh, a lot of money, what they're hoarding is cash and power. Um, And I think it comes out of that same place of a deep, fundamental, foundational insecurity and uncertainty and fear of the world and of the the future, and uh, which is what drives hoarding complex uh, behavior. I mean, this is an identifiable mental illness. You know, we don't talk about it in rich people. We call it, uh, you know, being being super rich, but um, we talk about it in poor people as hoarding. But I think it's the same thing. And (laughs) and that hoarding behavior, which is animating these people, this this small number of of right-wing billionaires, is uh, they're using the resources that they've acquired through this to to basically destroy our our democratic and republican form of government. Yep, there you go. And, you know, along those lines, I still... I, I started listening to your show back on uh, on Sirius back in 2006, right around there. And at the time, you and Bernie, and I mention this every chance I get, you and Bernie were the only ones who accurately predicted the Great Recession, like two or three years before it actually happened. What were you seeing then? What were you seeing at the yep. time in the middle 2000s, right around there? And are the same warning signs still popping up now? Well, well, we were what we were seeing. I can't speak for Bernie, but what I was seeing was uh, in actually 1998, I think it was, or 99, when they when they passed. Uh, you know, when Phil Graham went to the floor of the Senate and said that that Glass-Steagall Act has been working really well since 1934. Oh yeah, uh, or 33, I guess it was passed, and we haven't had any banks fail since then, and everything's wonderful. So I guess we don't need it anymore. And let's let uh, commercial banks, the checkbook uh, and and savings account banks. Uh, merge with uh, the stock brokerage banks, the investment banks, and use your savings to gamble on the stock market for the profit of the bank. Let's mm-hmm. just allow that to happen, which is exactly what happened in 1929 and crashed the banks. Yeah. And, you know, had, you know, Ar- Arnold Toynbee famously said, when the last man who remembers the horrors of the last great war dies, the next great war becomes inevitable. Yeah. And I think that if Phil Graham had, or somebody like Phil Graham had suggested that on the floor of the Senate in the 1960s or 70s, they would have been laughed off the floor of the Senate because the Senate at that time had people who remembered the 1930s. But by 1998, there was nobody alive. I mean, there were still people alive, but they were in their 90s or 80s who was, uh, you know, an adult in the business world and, and saw what was going on when, when Glass-Steagall was put into place. And when Glass-Steagall was taken out and the banks were deregulated, um, it was so obvious what was going to happen. We saw this exact same thing happen in 1983 when Reagan deregulated the SNLs, and within three years, you had a you know a trillion dollars was lost in the yep. SNL debacle, and you know it cost us a fortune to put the country back together. And they had to with the SNLs, they had to re-regulate them, and they still haven't re-regulated the banks. And so it was just obvious that this this day was coming. And frankly, I think it's still obvious that it's going to come again. Is there a shot at all of reinstating Glass-Steagall or even the Sherman Antitrust Act? Yeah, it's going to take a, a crash to do it. I, I wrote a book about this. Right. I titled The Great Crash or The Crash is Coming. My publisher titled it The Crash of 2016. So when it didn't happen in 2016, that was the end of the book. <laughs> so you can buy used copies. <laughs> but it was published by Hachette, you know, the world's largest yeah. uh, publishing company. And, and uh, I, I lay the whole thing out in that book. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. Unbe- I, I strongly I, I really it, yeah. think that, that it's going to take a, another crash. 
And, you know, I was totally, I don't mind saying I was completely steamrolled by the Great Recession through no no fault of my own. I'd, I'd least like to think that. Uh, I eventually had to file a Chapter 7 to resolve business debt that I'd accumulated over the previous decade. Should we be at all concerned about Joe Biden's history? And this is not necessarily a cut on Joe Biden or an endorsement of Joe Biden. I'm just... By way of background, should we be concerned about his history with supporting that uh, awful 2005 bankruptcy bill uh, that perhaps he'll try to reinforce it somehow? Should we keep our eyes open about that? Well, yeah, the worst part of that bankruptcy bill is that it, for the first time, said, you know, it used to be that the only thing you could not discharge in bankruptcy was taxes. And, yeah. and it said, now you can't discharge student loans either. And that was a gift to the, to the banks you know, yep. so that they could have something else that they could gamble on. And and they are doing that to this day, and, and and it's another risk. And yeah, Biden Biden supported that, um, but he wasn't alone. I mean, you know, I had uh, Debbie Stabenow came on my show and tried to defend it in 2005. I got wow. in an argument with her on the air about it. I think it was the last time she was on my show. Um, <laughs> Good for you. Uh, and, Good for and you. And I think that there were some Democrats who actually. I think there were some Democrats who actually thought it might be a good idea, but it was mostly a Republican effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not so concerned about Joe Biden in that context, frankly. Um, yeah. And and the reason why is, uh, you know, Franklin Roosevelt campaigned on a platform of uh, lowering taxes, uh, reducing tariffs, and balancing the federal budget. That was his campaign in 1933 wow. or 32, mm-hmm. and obviously he did none of those, none of those things. He 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 rose to the occasion of the crisis. And what was so cool about his ability to do that was that having been the governor of arguably the most corrupt state in the union, New York State, he knew where the levers of power were. He knew how to use them, and he knew how to fight political battles in ways that uh, novices or neophytes wouldn't. Um, and he, he transformed America as a result of that. Mm-hmm. I think that a genuine crisis uh, brings, brings out in people uh, things that can be very, very surprising. The same is true of Churchill during the war, uh, you know, World War II. And because uh, Churchill was this politician that nobody really took seriously, and mm-hmm. he was a, an eccentric crank and a right winger and blah, 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 blah. And here, you know, look at what he did. Yeah. Um, and, and, and unfortunately after the war, he went back to being a crank and got kicked <laughs> out of office. But, but, uh, yeah. but, but I think that, uh, this, this is why I was, you know, frankly in 2004, excuse me, in 2000, no, in 2016, yeah, the last time around, um, when Hillary Clinton was the nominee, I mean, I supported Bernie throughout the primary, aggressively supported Bernie. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously he'd been on my show every Friday for 11 years. I knew him inside out and I knew his policies. Uh, uh, and I, I, you know, I loved him and still do. And, but, uh, when he, when he uh, lost, he said to all of his supporters, please do everything you can to elect Hillary Clinton because Donald Trump will be a disaster as a president. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in fact, the, uh, Tim Kaine gave the most speeches on behalf of Hillary Clinton of any, any politician, but the person who gave the second most speeches on behalf of Hillary Clinton out of all the politicians in the United States was Bernie Sanders. How about that? And, and, uh, you know, yeah. And, and, and it's like, okay, she may be, uh, shall we say corrupted? I, I you know, I'm, I, it's, a, it's a harsh word, but you know, she was in the pocket of the banks and the insurance companies. Sure. Of course. But if there was a real, and, 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 and you wouldn't get the hope and change that you hoped for. And the same was true of Obama, frankly. 
Um, but had there been a real crisis, and I was fully expecting one, like I told you, I wrote a book about it. Mm-hmm. Um, had there been a real crisis, I think she could have risen to the occasion. I think she could have been like Franklin Roosevelt was. And I still, I still think that. And, and I think that that's a possibility with Joe Biden. I aggressively support Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. I think that, you know, I want a progressive president. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that haunts me about the 30s is that in 1933, uh, the Great Depression hit the United States and Germany equally hard. We had Roosevelt, they had Hitler, and we know how that turned out. Yeah. Leadership does matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and both of them used the crisis to accomplish their own personal agenda. And, you know, we were just lucky we had FDR. But um, and and God forbid that we have a crisis like that with Donald Trump in the White House. Do you still? Uh, I, I'm not so concerned about the personality. I you know I'm not I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I, my biggest concern with Biden is is that Trump can more easily beat him than he could beat Warren or Sanders. That's true. I think Biden has more vulnerabilities, obviously. But at the same time, Trump is risking impeachment and removal from office in order to find a way to beat Joe Biden. So maybe Donald Trump on some level knows something that we don't know, (laughs) that Joe Biden is much more formidable as an opponent than we're all pegging him to be. Well, I don't think it's that. I think it's just that that he's pretty sure that Biden's going to be the nominee. And and increasingly, it's looking like that's an accurate political calculation. Right, right. Let me ask you this. Um, How how exactly do we pass the elimination of private for-profit insurance without sabotaging the overall Medicare for All uh, proposal, whether it's Elizabeth Warren doing that or Bernie Sanders or someone else? Um, how do you how do you clear that hurdle? It seems like it's a, a pretty tall hurdle to uh, to, to clear, uh, given popular support and uh, probably some uh, some congressional impediments along the way too. If you remember two thousand nine, how do you how do you get past that to to pass yeah. the elimination of that uh, that entire sector of the uh, economy? The biggest challenge that we're facing is that the Supreme Court legalized political corruption in 1976 and 78. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of at the core of this book that I've got out now called The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. In these two decisions, Buckley and First National Bank, um, they ruled that owning a politician or carpet bombing the airwaves with uh, lies is protected First Amendment speech, free speech. It yeah. is not you know, bribing a politician or violating uh, truth in advertising laws. And uh, as was predicted in the dissents and uh, was predicted by John Paul Stevens in his dissent in Citizens United in 2010, um, that's exactly what's happened. Yeah. So um, the, the analogy that people who are not over 65 probably don't understand is that uh, if you're on real Medicare, and you have a, a Medicare supplemental insurance policy, uh, which fills in that 20% hole that's always been there with Medicare, uh, that the Republicans insisted on. That was the price that LBJ had to pay to get Medicare passed. They insisted that you had to have skin in the game. <laughs> but anyhow, if you have real Medicare and you have that, that uh, Medicare uh, fill-in plan, uh, supplemental plan, um, you can pretty much go to any doctor or any hospital who takes Medicare and um, get any kind of procedure. You can't be uh, dumped because you get sick. You, they can't. Uh, they don't. They don't pre-approve procedures. Your doctor doesn't have to play twenty questions uh, every time they want to do something. 
Um, but if you buy privatized Medicare, which has been available now since 2005, it was passed during the George Bush administration, and it's called Medicare Advantage, but it's not really Medicare. It's purely privatized insurance yep. that's available to people over 65. If you buy privatized Medicare, they can seriously screw with you. They, they, they can refuse to pay things. There's surprise billing. They can dump you if you get sick. They can, they can refuse to cover uh, some pre-existing conditions. Um, it, it's uh, people who give up their Medicare and buy Medicare Advantage um, typically, as soon as they get sick, I mean, as long as they're not sick, they don't realize what's going on. But once they get sick, um, they are screwed. I mean, badly screwed. And it's causing a lot of bankruptcies and, and a lot of disasters among people who are you know, well over 65 and, and have bought into these uh, scam Medicare Advantage programs. And if you've been watching television for the last few weeks, you know, the Medicare uh, every, uh, from October to December, uh, toward the end, I think it's October 15th to, to December 15th or something like that, or maybe the end of December, you can buy into Medicare or you can change your policy from Medicare to Medicare Advantage or, or back. And you've seen all these ads on TV where uh, you can get all the advantages of Medicare plus, you know, free meals and free rides to the doctor and vision <laughs> and dental and hearing. And, you know, and, and, and these are scam policies. These yeah. are policies that, that, yeah, they'll offer dental, but, uh, you know, it's got all, you know, but it won't cover any pre-existing conditions on mm. the dental or it'll only cover 10% of the dental. Uh, and by the way, uh, you now have a $20 copay on absolutely everything or a 20% copay for that matter on, on the other things that Medicare covers with no copay whatsoever. Um, and uh, so what's so astonishing to me is that in the years, just in the in 12 years or so, 13 years since Medicare Advantage was legalized, a third of all the people on Medicare have shifted over to it, even though it's, a, it's an inferior product, a dramatically inferior product. But there's no discussion about that in the media because these companies can put all these ads on TV and deliver millions and millions of dollars to the television networks and the, and the local radio and television stations. And so they're just, you know, they're not pleased about any kind of discussion about what's going on. My fear is that uh, if we go with some kind of a public options, if we, if, we, if we go halfway, which is what Medicare is now, unfortunately, because Medicare Advantage was legalized by right. the Bush administration. Um, if, if, we, if we go to a hybrid system where the private for-profit insurance companies still have uh, a role to play and a piece of the game, they are going to screw with us the same way they're screwing with Medicare recipients right now. And... Um, it's it's just going to be a disaster. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know the the whole thing that's being promoted by Biden and Buttigieg and these other guys of oh let's just have a public option. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for being able to buy into Medicare, but don't underestimate the ability of the insurance companies to use your dollars uh, to to deceive you. And so I, I I am of the opinion that it needs to be you know every it, we need to go all in period, like every other developed country in the world has. Do you think there'll be a backlash if, uh, let's say, President Elizabeth Warren settles for something less than uh, her full plan? Because the, no. the public, oh, no, you don't think so? I, you know, because the public option was dropped from the ACA, famously, in, in late, late 2009. And that kind of soured a lot of people yeah, to the ACA. Joe Lieberman. Yeah, yeah, Joe Lieberman, exactly. And I, I yeah. certainly expect someone to be a fly in the ointment in the uh, Medicare for 
overall process along those lines too. But my only concern is that oh, count on it. Yeah, there's there's just that there's a big political risk for whoever's in there proposing that legislation, and if it ends up getting whittled down to something that's lesser than, that there might be another fatal backlash like we saw in 2010 with those midterms. And I'm not sure if there's a direct one-to-one correlation between the reaction to the ACA and the 2010 midterms, but it certainly didn't help the president at that point in time. Uh, do you think there's that, that same kind of risk? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, and don't underestimate what these insurance companies can do just with dollars in the, in oh, the purely yeah. political arena and the, and, the, and the members of Congress that they can own, again, because of the Supreme Court's uh, changing our laws, you know, right. they, they they reversed laws not just from the reforms after the Nixon scandals, but all the way back to 1907, the Tillman Act, mm-hmm. the Teddy Roosevelt campaign for that made it a f- federal felony for a corporation to give money to a federal candidate for office. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know that that was struck down by the Supreme Court. So um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be yeah. really tough, and that's why I don't think that there'll be political backlash if 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 uh, Bernie or Elizabeth Warren become president. And they say, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to get there. Don't worry, everybody. But first, we're going to do it the way Pete Buttigieg was talking about. Um, and we're going to make, you know, Medicare as an option for everybody. Um, you know, the, uh, incrementalism is not necessarily a terrible thing. Um, the danger, of course, is that you, you let the, the insurance companies get their nose uh, under the camel's tent, get their camel's nose under the tent, the edge of the tent. <laughs> pretty soon they're inside the tent, you know, as right. we saw you know, with that 20% hole in Medicare and then, you know, Medicare advantage. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think, but, but, but I think that anybody who improves the system is going to be politically rewarded, not vilified. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tom, we've, we've gone way late. I just have uh, one more question for you. How are you holding up in terms of absorbing all of this, the fire hose of news? What's keeping you motivated to uh, persevere through uh, this madness? Well, I've been I've been writing this series of history books. We're coming out with two books a year. There's there's small books. They're 190 pages each. Wow. And uh, you know the the first two that came out uh, last year and this year were on guns in the Supreme Court. The next one that's coming out next spring. Actually, I guess both of those came out this year. The one coming out next spring is on voting. The one next fall is on monopoly. The one coming out in the spring of 2021, which is what I'm writing right now is uh, the hidden history of oligarchy of uh, the ruling class in America. And in the course of writing these books, I have been doing deep dives into American history. And um, what I keep learning over and over and over again is that no matter how bad we think we've got it, it's been worse before. It was, you know, it it was worse. I mean, the the Great Depression that Andrew Johnson had when when he balanced the federal budget and paid off the national debt, you know, was the deepest depression we've ever had. Um, the Great Depression of the of the 1930s was terrible. The, what the Republicans did in the Roaring Twenties, uh, deregulating everything in sight, was horrible, and it led mm-hmm. right to that crash. We we fought a civil war. We went through World War One and World War Two. Um, I mean, we've been to hell and back uh, a half a dozen times this country, yeah. and every time we bounce back to our core principles that are found in in the writings of John Locke and John Jacques Rousseau and and even arguably Hobbes, you know, the Enlightenment, the, the guys who kicked off the Enlightenment. And and as long as we keep going back to those principles that uh, were so well articulated, not, not perfectly acted out, obviously, by people like Jefferson and Madison, but well articulated, as long as we keep going back to those principles, we have been steadily moving forward. You know, uh, women got the vote in, the 19, in 1920. 
African Americans were fully enfranchised in 1965, 66. Um, we, we still have a long ways to go. Um, and neither of those two enfranchisements have been completed. Um, and, but, but the, 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 you know, to paraphrase Martin Luther King, you know, the arc of, of our, uh, of our nation has been always, even though it's been in fits and starts, has always been toward a more egalitarian and, uh, and progressive, uh, democratic system. And, I, and so I'm, I'm, I'm concerned and I am sometimes, you know, I just, it makes me crazy, mm-hmm. but I'm not frightened. That's I'm a great, great, great way to approach it. Absolutely. Well, you know, in terms of all of the 986 things you have going simultaneously, Tom Hartman, you're absolutely uh, a master at uh, every single one of those things. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you taking time out, especially in the middle of uh, writing your book. But I do appreciate you uh, taking the time today. Thank you for all of your dedication and hard work all of these years, Tom. It's, it's been a pleasure, Bob, and thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure to be on your podcast and your show, and, and thank you so much for having me on. You bet. We'll talk to you again soon. Let's face it. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, listeners to the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.